Hello there, friends on the other side of the internet. I'm Brennan Foster, and this, again, is Talking Brains. Today is the fourth episode of Talking Brains, and it's a really exciting one. The guest for today is a personal friend of mine and my former English teacher at Woodbury Forest School. And yeah, he's a man who I respect a lot. He got me into, he sort of got me into the outdoors indirectly. Um, He introduced me to a lot of writers and thinkers and ideas um, concerning nature and through this really cool class that he still teaches today. And yeah, my love for, you know, nature and all the sort of topics that we talk about today has sort of flourished um, in part because of him. So I'm really, really glad to have him on. It is Mr. Ben Hale. And I really wish we could have had a longer conversation, but I wanted to keep these first few episodes short. So maybe he'll come on later and we can have a more extended discussion. But anyway, in the time that we do have, we get into some great topics. We talk about at-home farming or gardening. We also talk about mindfulness and meditation and what it means to be in a flow state. We get into a whole sort of rolling um, Rolodex of topics here, I guess you could say. And so put on your thinking caps, sit down, relax, have a sip of tea. I don't know, do something to calm your mind and Have fun with this conversation. All right, so we're here now. Um, Hello, everybody. And so you were just talking about your a little farm that you guys put in. Um, what are you growing there? Well, a farm might uh, might overstate the case, but we've got we got three small gardens, and and um, we've got tomatoes and okra and eggplant, and uh, we've had peas which are gone, and uh, um, two or three different kinds of greens, Swiss chard and spinach, and collard greens and loads of squash and onions and lettuce. And, um, I think that's it right now, but, uh, it's been, it's been fun. We've eaten on it and, uh, it's the main joy of it has been to give have stuff to give away. So it's been fun to go pick that and, you know, be have a little delivery truck going around campus, giving people, um, their, their vegetables for the day. I've enjoyed doing that, but we've also been trying to, you know, I've, I've um, grew up on a farm and doing all this, but I was always doing the, you know, picking, cutting up stuff outside. So I never saw the actual canning process inside. That was my mom and grandmother doing that. But I, um, and my uncle and grandfather helped too, but I was always doing the rough work outside. But anyway, I've been learning how to can and make pickle. Um, and that's been fun. It's put me back in touch with my roots a little bit and made me think a lot about my grandmother. But I've been making squash pickle and pickle okra and canning tomatoes for winter soup and, and all that. So that's been a joy. Today I made zucchini bread to give to neighbors uh, to not throw anything away. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy how much you can get out of a, a pretty small garden. It is. Uh, Richard Barnhart was saying that his uh, 
he had a guy doing some work for him and he's got Richard's got a like a five by 12 raised bed. And he said, I, I feed my family in the summer off a bed this size. Yeah. Uh, so it's really amazing what you can get out of a small patch if you're economical about how you plant it and everything. Mm-hmm. I saw some video that said, um, I forget what, it was actually a podcast on NPR. I forget what city it was, but it said, if everyone had a, a small raised bed in their backyard, they could like feed the whole city. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, the exciting thing I, I think is that is that people are. It's not totally new. It's more new is that people are getting into this in cities. And and uh, as I've gotten more and more into beekeeping, I've become aware that that's not just a country thing. That people in you know in New York City have beehives on top of buildings uh, near the parks and stuff. And 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 it's uh it's it, it's cool. And uh, I think. Um, you can't find canning jars anywhere around right now. And I think it's a sign that a lot of people are getting into trying to, um, you know, maybe it's a positive sign. I'll, I'll just back up and say that I, 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 I keep hoping that out of COVID, um, out of all this heartache and stress and, and everything else, which is obviously not over yet and sadness that, that there's going to be good stuff's going to come. And I hope that's, I really keep hoping that. I mean, I, I, that in the long run, our your children and you, as an older person, benefit from 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 the lessons we learned during this time. I hope. Yeah, I do think there's that people. I think people are probably growing more. And then I'm doing a a 14 day hike in the end of August, and so we're like going to get gear. And the REIs, like all the REIs, are completely sold out of you know, half of the gear that you need for, for outdoor stuff. Um, so I think that's like, yeah, I think people will get at least some exposure to nature that maybe they didn't have before. Yeah. I had the same experience. I I've been, been threatening my, my former advisee and runner and good, good friend, uh, runs, uh, works in a kayak dealer, boat dealer down in Farmville. And for the last three summers, I've been saying I was going to upgrade my old beat up kayak. And finally this year I said, you know, and he said, you couldn't pick the worst time to try to do this. There, there was some sort of boat canoe shortage and everything that they were shipping boats as far as California from Farmville, Virginia. So I do think there's been a rediscovery of the outdoors and, and, um, that can only be good. I mean, that, that can only lead to good things. It might, might be a little hard on our parks, but I hope that levels out after a while. Uh, the certainly if you read and followed this back in March and April when they were closed, they, they were, there was, it was an unprecedented time there. I mean, the, you know, the elk were down in the, in the campgrounds, um, in Yellowstone. And, and, and so it was, it was, it was really amazing. And we had, you know, we had, uh, all these just here at Woodbury and we're in a farm, but there were no students and it was quiet. And we had uh, a couple dens of foxes. I had a fox, just right here in my yard, it would come up on my porch and it was almost tame. I mean, it would come up to you or approach you. Um, didn't, didn't feel threatened by that, although I didn't want to get too close to it, but, um, and, and there were stories like this all over the place. And my former student, who's a, um, editor at GQ is putting a story out about that this spring, about the, about all the, 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 the resurgence of animal life in cities, deer in London and that sort of thing, which has been, been amazing. So fingers crossed on the, on the natural world rebound from this whole thing. Yeah, seriously. It shows you like how, you know, 
humans are making a lot of change, but like once we go away, it does not take long for things to start coming back in. Right. Uh, well, and I, you know, um, I don't know. Yeah. I was talking to an alum about this. We, we took a hike on Sunday and he said, you know, good or bad on balance. I mean, we've wasted more food, which is bad. We've, we've, we've certainly had to do more packaging and all that more styrofoam. That's not been good, but we have burned less fossil fuel. Um, it's just interesting. I think it's such an interesting time to be an environmental scientist. Uh, I, I, you know, the people who study, um, whale songs in the ocean are so excited because they had this time period when there were no, um, you know, very few sonars on and the, and the, and the human, the motor boats were not running and they could really um, detect sounds that they had not been able to detect before. And that's been a, an amazing thing. Yeah. And, and the lack of like, I can even notice it in the Bay area too, like the lack of pollution in the air, the air is clear. You can see the scar. You can see the stars better. Um, well, the line that you know that keeps going around is that you that the that the canals are clear in Venice and the and the sky is clear in Shanghai. I don't know if that's literally true, but it's figuratively true anyway, true to a degree. So when we're speaking about this nature stuff, you sort of like Woodbury and your class that I took was one of like the first real exposures I had to, you know, this whole appreciation of nature. And I was always aware of, you know, like the environment and stuff. Um, but so how do you, in that class, how do you frame introducing this kind of like respect for the environment and like oneness with nature? Well, you know, I think that I, um, I'll start by just saying it, that, you know, a little bit about words. A friend of mine runs the mountain school in Vermont, which is a very, it's an on the land school. The kids who come there for a semester, um, you know, they run this farm. So instead of doing sports, they're making maple syrup. They're, you know, they're there during lambing season. They're doing all this and they're, they're top students. Um, but he, you know, he says one of the things that I, he had to do years ago is, is ban the use of the word sustainability that it had just become such an overladen word. It had all kinds of, uh, you know, connotations that caused to people to conjure up different things. I think the word environment and environmental, environmental, environmentalism, for whatever reason, have just become words that we've got to almost put in brackets now, or maybe we've got to let those words rest for a while, uh, for the same reason. I mean, they've just become heavy words. Um, and so I really try not to say the environment. Um, it's also a very big word and it's, and it's interesting in so many different contexts and it you know has an urban meaning and it has a, uh, but certainly usually people are talking, but I, I want to get back to nature. I've, I've, um, excuse me, back to nature as a word, as a term, back to nature, back to the word nature is, is the way I like to think about it. And, and, you know, the natural world, and of course that's a misnomer too, a little bit because we're, we are a part of nature. I mean, the, you know, the old line about what's the difference between a, a, a giant beaver dam in New York city, nothing, uh, you know, they're built by animals. Um, and, and so I, I think that's, one way to 
to think about this is just to, to, to try to talk about the natural world, uh, which by which we mean not the man-made world and the way the two go together and leave the whole environmental thing out of it. Um, one is with nature. I, I don't know about that phrase. Uh, I'd have to, I'd have to give that phrase some thought, but I think what I try to do in the class is get people thinking, um, excuse me, not thinking, but really experiencing and being in, in nature, uh, to, you know, to be still and to be quiet, uh, and to listen without listening for, to look without looking for anything. Uh, you know, people say, well, I, I do that. I go deer hunting and I, and I say, yeah, but you know what? That's great. But, but you're, you're, you're listening for a deer. You're looking for a deer. You're, you're therefore not great example of that is this spring. I, I had this conversation with so many people. They kept saying, you know, wow, isn't it ironic that we had this, this virus and this is the most beautiful spring we've ever had. This is surely the most beautiful spring we've ever had. And um, it was a beautiful spring, but uh, a friend of mine down in North Carolina, who's a, an outdoors person uh, and a gardener, she said, she she was having the same conversation. She said to this person, no, it's always this beautiful. You just haven't noticed it before. You just haven't been still during spring. You know, you haven't just had a moment. And I think that's what I try to get kids to do is whether they've grown up hunting and fishing, which is usually the case. If they're in nature, that's what they've done. Or you get kids that have grown up going to camp, going on hikes or, or, or doing outdoor sports like skiing. Um, rock climbing, but, but, and those things are awesome. All those things are awesome, but just to step back from the, from the activity oriented goal oriented way of being in nature and just get into being in nature and you don't have to do anything, look for anything, listen for anything. There's not, not a goal, but really to just kind of open up here. This touches on what I've learned and, it's been a, a parallel study sort of for me, but it really is, is, is what's happening in meditation. Again, that's a word that I'm going to use very carefully because it's freighted. It means all kinds of things, but, um, and you can't use the word mindfulness anymore because it's been wrung out threadbare, but, but the point is there, you know, it's, 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 it's what's happening in prayer a uh, certain kind of prayer, right? The prayer of contemplation, where you're you're not you're not asking for anything. You're you're simply simply being there with with it, and uh, and and the same thing in meditation, where you're not you don't have a an agenda. You're you're trying simply to pay attention, um, and to to just experience what you experience. And I think if you can. Get them to do that, then some kind of barrier goes down. If you want to call that one with nature, maybe that's a that's a way to talk about that. But certainly things happen, and and they begin to notice things, and and see things, and hear things, and smell things, and 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 feel things with their hands, and 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 just also internally then to become aware of things and to have uh, realizations that they didn't have before because they weren't looking for anything. And I think in their appreciation for the natural world, not as a means to an end, you know, this is a place where we go to find this cool 
rock climbing site, or this is a place where we go to find this cool backcountry ski site, or this is a place where we go to shoot, you know, the, the longhorn, you know, or something. But, but all those things are great. Here's where we're going to go catch the steelhead trout. But no, this is just a, this is a place that has its own meaning and its own experience. And that way it does border on a kind of religious experience. I want to be careful saying that because you don't have to be religious to go out in the woods, but I would call it a religious experience. You know, mm-hmm. it would. Yeah. And I actually, I think about that type of stuff a, a lot and like for lack of uh, you know, better term, that sort of kind of like mindfulness, um, keeping your brain sort of in the present and actually observing without, you know, a goal to, to everything you do. I think a lot of, a lot of, like you said, religions touch on that sort of that, that idea maybe of the Holy spirit or, um, of some aspects of Buddhism where it's, everything is the same. Um, maybe not the same, but all intertwined in some, some complicated way. Um, and that's like pretty much a constant with me. Um, I, I, I like meditate pretty regularly, even though, you know, there's many different ways to do that. Sometimes I pray, but just to like, to experience that in nature. And I, I think the, we, we talked about the good sides of, of, of the pandemic and going out into nature. I think the, the bad side is that people are spending a lot more time with these. And I think when you're on, you know, you're on Facebook and things like that, um, you're sort of, you're basically doing the opposite of, of this oneness. Well, I'm going to, you, you said a lot. Um, your first point, I, I think that, that, that what you're talking about, if, if you want to take the whole idea of, you know, what's happening in, in meditation or what's happening in contemplative prayer and that sort of thing is, 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 um, it's really uh, an entire branch of, of religion that, that, that really kind of, um, died out after the Protestant Reformation and after the Enlightenment. And this is the whole mystical strain in the, in, in all the great world religions. And certainly, and it kind of seems to be coming back. I mean, people like Richard Rohr um, in, in his great work that he's doing down there in New Mexico and, and all of the people who are working with him, all the writers and thinkers, uh, it's so exciting what they're doing, but what they're really talking about is trying to rediscover what they call, I think rightfully, and whether you're doing this through a Buddhist context or Christian context or or whatever is that, is that you're really trying to discover what they call a non do the non dual mind. And and the the non dual mind gets you away from that binary, you know, the trap of binary thinking, which is, you know, is the rational mind. So this is either or, right? You're either this or this, and 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 that's really helpful if you're if you're out in the woods and you're you're, you're trying to, you know, that's either it's either a rattlesnake or it's not. And if it is, I need to back up and be very careful. So that's important, you know. That that uh, that pan on the stove is either hot or it's not, and that's important. I need to know. And then in the world of science, you know, what is this? Is this a virus or is this the Really helpful. Yeah. And beyond that, though, outside the realm of practicality, where we're just trying to make practical sense of things, when you're trying to discover, you know, the connectedness of all things, then the binaries have got to break down. And so you you learn to live, um, you know, in 
you know, was it Master Eckhart had the phrase to live in the cloud of unknowing, which is great, which really kind of means the same thing Keats was talking about where you live in this state of, uh, of, of uh, negative capability, Keats call it, but it means that you don't have to, I think he says you're not grasping after answers, but you're willing to enjoy the paradox or you're willing to be at peace with the paradox or you're willing to think in terms of, you know, not either or, but both and. Mm-hmm. And I think that once you get into a binary, and I think maybe that's what prayer and meditation do for us. And certainly, you know, we want to talk about this in religious terms. And I, I don't mind doing that because my mind is there a lot of the time is that, you know, that's that seems to me what, you know, what love is. I mean, it, it, you know, love of your fellow man means that, that, that there's no difference between us really, you know, love your neighbors yourself, meaning you know, you are myself. We are each other. I mean, we've got to treat each other that way. And that's kind of what love is. It's not a sentiment or a feeling. It's a, it's an openness to that. And, and it's the same thing that one with nature means really, I mean, you know, it is that we realize that, you know what, um, that, you know, it, it, it's like Walt Whitman, you know, the blade of grass, the, 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 you know, the molecules in the blade of grass or the molecules that are in me. I mean, it's a, it's a, that's a, a, a scientific realization that he had early expressed in poetic terms. And we know, of course, that that's true, that we're all made of the same carbon uh, and we, we all, um, and, and so, I mean, you can go on to that, but so I think you're dead on there. I mean, and I think that, that you're talking about a way, a way of thinking. I think we can learn this, from nature. And that's another thing is that nature becomes a teacher for us. And, and I, you know, I think that we begin to realize that, you know, um, in the way, for example, that we've understood evolution all this time, we've always thought it was survival of the fittest and it was either this or this, this was going to live or this was not. And it was either this, you know, nature's red and tooth and claw. And now of course, Science is teaching us that 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 one of the things that was so important for the survival of of of, of species is has been cooperation, and, yeah. and the fact that you know particularly how did humans how did we get to the point where we could build New York City and come up with a you know with a cure to a virus in well year or something well by cooperation I mean that's how it happens but does that then come back to the religious point? <laughs> You know, because I, you know, that's another thing is that I think also, I was like, okay, when I grew up, I was like, well, okay, you know, it's either science or religion. I mean, you got to make, you got to choose because religion is not scientific, therefore, or science. Well, that's a false binary, it seems to me. And, um, you know, there we are. Now, to your other point, then you can, I'm not going to just, I, I have, I come, you know, I completely agree with you. And if we're sitting here and we're just doing this with these things, um, on the other hand, I have come to appreciate, um, the fact that during the, 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 um, time of this, you know, what I call the confinement, um, that, that my, my device has really made me feel, uh, closer to people who are far away, connected them in a way, um, I've never been a social media guy, but you know, I just decided that it'd be a fun time to have an Instagram account, not to tell the world what I did today, but just to, you know, for me, it's, 
you know, Sunday I saw a beautiful beech tree on a hike and I posted that to just share with people. And, you know, sometimes, you know, somebody else I look and, you know, there's a Instagram account now called WFS guys holding fish. And it's just guys of all ages out catching fish. And it's just pictures of them with their fish. And I don't know. I, I feel like that's a good thing. I don't feel like that's a, um, anything I'm for anything that connects us in a meaningful way to other people. Yeah. Um, anything that connects us to the natural world in a more meaningful way. Or if it's a you know meaningful doesn't have to mean voice of God. It can just mean that small little voice of you know that text message. I learned this when my dad died back in January, and it was a crazy time. It was the middle of January is right after Christmas, and you know it just happened. And I had, it was a day, obviously the dead of winter, and uh, went home, and you know I, I got through the week on text messages from people, just you know. Um, the morning of the funeral, I got one from a friend saying, you know, we're with you today. And I was like, you know, that's all I needed. I get up, I'll do this today. And so I'm, I don't want to be overly judgmental. I mean, I don't want to condemn devices totally, but I yeah. do think we have to be careful. Mm-hmm. I, I'm in that camp too. I, I don't think they're, they're completely, um, and it's hard to draw the art, the line between meaningful and, and not, um, but I do think they obviously provide this level of, you know, distance is no longer uh, an impediment to communication. Um, Right. Now the danger of course, is that we think that a superficial little bit of communication, you know, is, is enough. And of course it's not. And so there's a, there's a pitfall, you know, oh, we were talking, you know, what does that mean? We exchanged a little quick text message yesterday morning. Well, that was nice, but that's not a conversation. And we need to know that as well. Right. Yeah. And it's hard. Like for me, it's been hard to manage because I had this urge to like get away from the thing, you know, and then it's hard to manage. Like how do you use it properly to like maintain connections with people? Um, it's just a weird like balance there. Well, you know, I've uh, I've got some younger friends in your age, and 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 you know, I mean, I, all my younger friends are just kind of maybe, and they seem like they're all the same age, and they're just a little bit younger than I am. Not, not true. Neither of those is true, but who've just kind of had to give up on some social media accounts because they felt like they were just not able to, to do what you're saying. And they, they were just, they, they were just finding that it was an addiction uh, that they were. It. And I don't think, by the way, I think all addiction is bad. I mean, you can be for many years, I was addicted to running and I, and Paul Huber called it one time a positive addiction. And I love that phrase. I thought that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, was I mean it did nothing but good for me and it, it maybe drove my friends and family crazy because I would have to get up on on a we were off on a vacation somewhere and I would have to get up and go run and it maybe felt obsessive to them but it was good for me good for my head good for my health and and so I think addictions can can sometimes be healthy but they can also at the same time be dangerous and um, all, even the good ones and so I think we have to you know. Be careful. I don't have the answer to that. I'm just trying. The older I get, the more I'm just trying not to, to pass judgment on things and say, um, you know, I have social media. 
gosh, gosh, that's so easy. And then you just totally miss kind of, you miss that. Um, texting, you know, well, I've got a, the two with two Woodbury alums are brothers and their dad, who's a friend. Uh, we've had an ongoing, and they're good friends of mine. We've had an ongoing conversation about politics in this country that we, we almost text each other every morning. And they share what they've read the day before articles or perspectives or, you know, Hey, check this out. I just read this. This is a great perspective. And, you know, I do the same. And, um, I love that. I, I, I think that's great. It, it's, uh, it's something, it's, it's something. Yeah. I think, I guess for me, the, a lot of the problems is just uh, a lot, like when you have these kids that are using it so much and they are maybe not, most of the time, I think using it for meaningful stuff, that's where it gets a problem. But I think then you're opening up a can of worms there that's like, really, how do you handle that problem? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I was having a conversation with a with a uh, alum the other day about the same picture with different faces every time. It's like, that. we were talking about how that just feels kind of... I don't want to say it's meaningless because they're having fun and it means something to them and they're and they're maybe they're all really close friends and that's good. And I'm not condemning that, but it also feels like that's not going anywhere. If that makes any sense, like there's no there's no discovery happening there. And and I and I don't I agree that maybe not all the time it's meaningless, but with kids like like my age and younger, what you can see happen is. Like if you're at a party, you can see people interacting normally. They're not actually, they're not actually having that much fun. And the camera comes out and the flash turns on and everyone like, you know, sort of brightens up and looks like this is the best time ever. And I think that when, when you're bombarded with a bunch of people who are doing that and you don't, you can't tell that they're doing that, then you start to think, oh, everyone else's life must be amazing all the time. Oh, I, I think you're onto something there. And I, I was on a trip with some folks a couple of years ago and, and we were just, you know, one of the things that I love to do is, is uh, tourist watch. And, and uh, we were watching these people and we'd watched them, you know, see them around and somebody said, they're not, they're not on a tour of, I've got where you were, but they're, they're not on a tour here. They're, 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 uh, they're, uh, searching for perfect Facebook pictures. And, and I, I, you know, I want to be careful. I don't know those people, but I do think that's a type. And I think that that's something that's happening and it may not even be their fault, but people are getting into this thing where they they're engaged in a constant act of self-representation yeah. and, and they're living what somebody called a curated life. They're curating their lives. They are putting up pictures, taking down, putting up, you know, they're deciding, these are the pictures that are going to represent, you know, my life. And, you know, some comedian was joking recently about how many times he sees that I post a Facebook picture, you know, it's, you know, they, it, it, they're, you know, hungover and in a bad mood and they're angry at the world and they're feeling guilty and they just need to go to the gym and they just, this is a low moment. <laughs> Those low moments don't don't go up, and and so in a way that's dangerous existentially. I think because it, you know if those things become a mirror, 
and you think that you're a happy person and your life is great because if I look at these pictures, these pictures are proof that, then that's a problem. And I also think then it creates life envy. That's a whole other topic of conversation. But but I do know it's a thing where people look at each other's curated lives and they feel like they just can't, you know. Uh, I, I even think that, that, that there are people who think, I wish I could afford to go to a place like that to get some pictures like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I, it, it's people have always collected pictures and taken pictures of vacation ever since we've had cameras, but it is different now. I remember years ago when I was in college and I was hiking in the Alps with a, with a, uh, another friend and, and we were, we had climbed up top of this mountain and it was amazing. We were up and it was in the, oh, I guess still green in the valley, but we were up in the snow. We were wet and it was really something. And, I remember he said, God, you know, I just, I can't, I just got to remember this so I can write it and, you know, write some postcards when I get back to, to friends. And he said, uh, wouldn't it be something if you could just like blink your eyes and take a picture and send it to your friends? <laughs> and we, we laughed and it never occurred to me that we would both live to, to a time we could actually do that. Um, but of course, wouldn't it be great if we could do that turns into, oh my God, I have to do that. Mm-hmm. That's this has got to be recorded. This has got to be recorded. This has got to be recorded. I got to get this all out there. Whether it's it's going to be then for consumption or for production, then uh, that seems to me to um, create a sort of um, neurosis that we that we share. I think, and I think that neurosis too brings you out of that sort of in the moment existence that we were talking about earlier. And that is where I think it becomes unhealthy because you lose a, a large portion of those moments that would have otherwise been um, like mindful, so to speak. Yes. Uh, you're, you're looking, you're looking for something. Mm-hmm. And if you say, you know, I'm, I'm looking for something. And so it's like going shopping, right? You can go to, to, to Morocco to a bazaar. And if you're if you're shopping, you say, "Well, I'm, I'm I'm looking for the perfect scarf to take my girlfriend," and I'm, I'm and, and you're looking for scarf, and yeah, you're in the bazaar in Morocco, and it's cool, and you're listening to the same, but you're really looking for scarves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's different from I'm not looking for a damn thing. I'm just walking through the bazaar in Morocco, and I'm going to stop and listen to this guy sing, and I'm going to stop and listen to this, and I'm going to stop and eat, eat this pastry that's for sale here, and I'm just going to you know, maybe stand here in the middle of the street for a few minutes and just kind of absorb this. And I don't have any agenda at all. That's a different way of being in the street in Morocco. And I, yeah, I used to think the best way in the world to go in the woods was to always have a camera because it had my eye really attuned to things. And, and, and I, I, I still do like to do that. But Annie Dillard says somewhere, you know, leave your camera at home. You miss a lot. And I know why it hit me. I, the minute she said that, I said, I know why she's saying that, because you're looking for the perfect, that great picture. You're trying to find that great moment where the, you know, the sunlight is hitting the moss on the log and there's a beetle and you catch it. And 
maybe while you're doing that, you miss the fact that a bald eagle just flew over, you know, overhead or, or something and, and you never catch everything. But if you're not looking for something, listening to something, whatever as I said earlier, uh, chances are that's when you get surprised, right? That's when you, you have those wonderful moments. And, and I think that's true wherever you are. Certainly it's true in nature for all means. All means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's like a, like, I, I think about these things just constantly and um, probably too much. So it's almost like an addiction um, <laughs> where I think of, am I paying attention? Like, am I paying attention? It's like, well, pay attention. Don't think about <laughs> paying God. Uh, well, you know, I think that that's the thing is that paying attention is, is, is a thing that we, we often misunderstand, right? Because sometimes when we say pay attention, if we're driving down the road and I say pay attention, then that means watch the road. Don't look at me. Don't, don't pick up your phone. Watch the road, the car in front of you and all that. Um, and that's one type of paying attention. But then the other type of paying attention is to simply to be present uh, and, 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 and with an experience and to not get distracted by your own mind. And um, I think that's, uh, it doesn't mean what's going on in your own mind is not important. Sometimes you've got to pay attention to what's going on in your mind. But sometimes, you know, to pay attention to what's going on around you, whatever it is, gets you out of your mind. And by God, that's good for your mind. I mean, that's where the great grist for the mill comes from, the great ideas and the, and the, and things. And, and, um, so. Yeah. And you were talking about running earlier. I think a really good way to do that is like exercise. Every time, yeah. every time I exercise, it completely changes the percentage of time like stuck in my head, you know? Well, it drives me crazy. I, I got on somebody the other day. Again, I have no business getting on anybody for anything, but I, I, I gave somebody a hard time the other day for running with his. He was carrying, you know, carrying his phone, and he's got it. And I said, "Stop! You're, you're not get. You're missing the whole thing, you know." Um, and I, I, you know, God, you, you want to hear your feet in the gravel, and you want to hear the 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 you know, the horses neighing in the field as you run by and you want to hear the birds that take off from the fence post and, you know, and, and, and you, you want to hear all that. And it seems to me that then you, then you're in a pra- you're in a, a, pr- a prayerful state. I mean, then you're in a mind, so you're, you're present in that moment. I mean, you're not somewhere else. Um, and that, that's, that's really powerful. And, and, and it's, it is, it, Again, it, the whole idea, the Buddhist idea, the idea of practice, but that's it, right? Is you're practicing and you're practicing it doing anything. It doesn't matter. I got back into, you know, I grew up fishing, love fishing. And then I, you know, my, my type A personality took over about 25 years ago. And I was, you know, just kind of, you know, work, 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 get a dose, you know, and, and I just, I don't know, I have time to go do that. And I, I literally gave my, stuff away and um i've gotten got replaced my stuff and, and have gotten back into it this summer and am getting back into it and 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 one of the reasons is that i think i need to i need to do it i mean i need to i need to to do something that slows me down and gets me just worrying about this cast 
this this moment right here where I'm just going to try to get this little fly under that one branch, not snag it on that lowest twig. You see if I can hit that one swirl that's, that's happening over there in that shadow where I think this is. I mean, yeah, you're fishing, you're having fun, and you're out there in the water, and you might catch a fish. But to me, that's not the point. The point ultimately is to practice that idea of being in a task. Whatever it is, it's just a lot more fun than watching your breath. But it's the same thing. It's a mindful discipline. Uh, and I think that's what running was. You know, you just you find a rhythm and you find that. I know climbers get into this and know this. You're a skier and you surely have the same thing. I mean, where you're just, you're in the, in that motion and you're in that one, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're moving with a, with a, with a terrain and, and your body and all that's coming together. That touches on another thing too, this idea of getting in a zone, which is um, not exactly the same thing as being in the moment and being mindful, but it's certainly a spinoff of it. Yeah, it captures this sort of same um, like underlying kind of current. Maybe it's going in a different direction. Um, but you, you hear athletes talk about like flow states or things like that, just where your performance is is much higher than um, than really what you are normally doing. Um, and I I don't have currently something that I that gives me that on a consistent basis, but. I think those those and I think most people don't have access to the I think there's there's levels to the the flow state, um, but I think that what you're talking about that whole fishing exactly where you can put the lure, um, if you can reach that state, I think um, it will, I think it makes you happy, and I think that also it makes you really um, successful and not successful in you know rich and all this other stuff. But I think like the best athletes are the best. At, at a lot of these things are are reaching this state of sort of like flow like mindfulness on a, on a regular basis um and a little bit jealous of that but um you think you think of, of you know you think of great athletes you know michael jordan on the court or whatever but you know or olympic skiers or you know great great fishermen but there's a I'm trying to remember who gave this TED talk the other day. We started at Flow State. Anyway, he's starting. One of the examples that he gave was, you know, this guy that he watched one time in New York City cutting up salmon. And, 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 you know, it's a tedious thing and you got to hit it just right to get the little flake, get it to flake exactly the right way. And so this guy was in this crowded, busy deli and he was handling these big pieces of fish and this knife and he was just seemed to, utterly oblivious to the fact that he was in the middle of this busy city in the middle of this busy daily in the middle of this craziness because he was in a flow state and he was just feeling it. He was doing his, he was, he was in his job. He was in his work. He was cutting up that fish. And, um, I, I definitely, you know, I think this is so true of work. Um, I mean, what, what, you know, was Joseph Campbell's talking about Martha and Mary in the Bible, and he said, "Well, that's it. Sweep the floor to the glory of God. It doesn't matter what you're doing, right?" I mean, one of my one of my favorite things to do is to pull weeds. Uh, I don't know; it gives me satisfaction. I get these weeds in 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 my garden, and I just like to go pull them and and get them get it all, and reach down there and get the whole weed out, and I feel like I've done some good. And but I also can get lost doing that. Um, it's a trivial example, but 
the, the important thing is maybe not so much, well, I'm doing this and I caught the biggest trout, you know, in the Snake River, but, but which is cool. And I would like to catch the biggest trout in the Snake River one day. But also that what I did is I went out here and I just got lost in this moment, in this task. And I wasn't just hijacked by my own thoughts and moods. I was paying attention to, to the, to this weed, to how tight it was clenched in there. And the fact it was growing around a rock and to what, what, what was it? And okay. And how's it here in this and all that doesn't matter. Does that make any sense? I mean, I, I think anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. And I think you see it in a lot of times. in, like you said, people who like, like the person who's cutting a fish, people who do this like every day and maybe that's all they do. They just, found this cool thing that they do. Um, and yeah, it's just, I think that's, it goes back to that idea of practice, right? If you right. practice something like that. It, yeah. Well, and I think, I think that's, that's true, but I also think that, that with regard to flow states and maybe you could think of examples that would prove me wrong, but something else is happening there. Uh, and we've really gotten far afield, but it's okay. Is that it seems to me that the body is involved and that's another thing when you get into, you know, a dangerous duality that comes down to us uh, from, from, I think, a misunderstanding of Scripture and the Christian tradition is that, you know, you got body and soul, and one is kind of bad. It needs to be tamed and is, a, you know, gets you into trouble and is, is going to die, and it's, it, you know, it's just a rare, and then the other is good. And, of course, that's, that's a false duality. You know, we're all... Um, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, you know, you're all, God made all of you, all of it, warts and all. And, and so, you know, in that way, then the body is a fantastic way of knowing things and, you know, a way of being. And I think it's got to be really honored. And we tend not to think of the body as a path of knowledge or wisdom, but it really is. And, those people who get in those flow states where they're athletes or craftsmen, a woodworker, watch a woodworker do what, what he or she does. And they really are. They're just paying attention to the grain of that wood and they got the tool in their hand. And they're just, they're, they're there. Watch somebody tie flies or, or paint or, but it seems to me that in all those things, the body is, is knowing somehow the mm-hmm. And that they are, and then that, you know, and so maybe that's it. Maybe that's what a flow state is. The body, you experience the oneness of body and soul that they come together um, an activity. Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's a really, that's an interesting idea. Um, So speaking of this sort of like kind of um, metaphysical uh, feelings and things like that. um, I want to talk about Woodbury for a second. And maybe this is me like remembering it different, but I feel like there's something special about this place. And so for people who are listening that don't know, Woodbury is where I went to school and where I was a student of Mr. Hales. And um, I might be remembering it romantically, but it just seems like it's this very special place where when you walk around, you have um, a sort of different, I don't know, there's a vibe about it is, is how I would describe it maybe. Um, have you thought about that? And you, can you put your finger on things about that? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's true. 
uh, you know, and, 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 and I, I think I sensed that when I came here, I, I, I've told this story before, uh, but I, I, you know, came here sort of a friend urged me to come here and interview, but I really had kind of made my mind up that, it, you know, I was going to go to a city. Uh, I was going to go to a city that had a major university because I wanted to go ahead and get my master's degree and that I was ready for, some, you know, good city living. I'd been living down in Western North Carolina. Um, and, and I do love cities, but I, I think I probably more of a city visitor than a city liver. Uh, I know that in fact, but, but I came here and, and I was sold. I mean, I, I knew that, that I would be, that, that I should come here, you know, if I had a chance and, um, and whenever chances have come for me to leave, uh, and they have over the years in some ways I've, I've thought that I shouldn't or that I, or maybe I thought, yeah, I could do this and it would be fine, but I would look back and be unhappy about what I lost. I would, I would grieve a sense that there would be something lost and something. And I, and I, that's, that's not to say that, you know, this school is, is, uh, you know, better than other schools or, you know, all schools have their own ethos and their own uh, way of thinking, way of being together. And I don't, I'm not commenting on that, but uh, certainly we have that here and I, I, it's hard to, hard to put it into words. Um, But, you know, as Ted Blaine said it, as he was getting ready to retire, he said, you know, we do not live basely here. And, um, you know, I think that's right. I mean, one of the things I'd say is that this is a place that has challenged me every day, even in the middle of summer. If I'm hanging out here in the middle of summer, it's challenging me somehow to be, uh, you know, to is, tighten up, you know, to uh, look up, um, look around, um, you know, be better. I, I, I put be better in quotation marks because that sounds – so goal oriented and it sounds achievement oriented and I'm not really talking about that. I'm, I'm, I, I would stress the word be in that, you know, and, and I, I, I think, uh, it's not a matter of, of, of getting to be more perfect. It's just a matter of uh, back to that idea of practicing, you know, it's a place that I, I think makes you, inspires you to practice all the time thinking and, and all that. So yeah, I think that's true. And, I think for whatever reason, if we can theorize about that or we don't need to, it's a place that fosters deep um, relationships. Uh, put that in quotation marks. I don't really, really even like that word. The word that I like is friendships. Um, but, you know, sometimes they're close friendships and sometimes they're, you know, all different kinds of friendships. But I think it's a place of friendships. Yeah, and like – it's weird because I, I think a lot of people maybe don't, or students in particular, don't really notice that when you're there. It's a weird thing. Yeah. Can I, I I've got a, an alarm going off in the other room. Can I run and check and just make Absolutely. sure? Yeah. yeah I just, I'm just going to hang tight. Oh, yeah.
To the question of what makes Woodbury special, there are many things that I could say to that, but I think that I would boil it down to this. This is a really easy place to feel grateful. I love the, the writing of, of a guy named David Stendelrast, and he writes about gratitude, and he says that, that it really that's the, that's the answer to the good life. That's the answer to the truly spiritual life is that you are being grateful every moment. It doesn't mean that you're not recognizing hardship. You're not recognizing pain. It doesn't mean that you're glad everything happens, but that you can be grateful anyway. Uh, and this place is a place where it's easy to be grateful. It's easy to be grateful for all the beauty. It's easy to be grateful for all the great people who challenge me every day to be better. Some of them are in the ninth grade. Some of them are seniors. Some of them are nearing retirement. Some of them have already retired. Uh, some of them are, are my age. Uh, and they all challenge me to be better. Uh, they've all come here like I have, and, and, and they make me want to be a better person every day. And I'm grateful for them. But I also think that this is a place that, 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 that makes it easy to be grateful for challenges, that even a bad day can, in the end, to be something that you were grateful for uh, if it caused you to grow, if it challenged you to rethink something, if it, if it caused you to pause and back up and reconsider something, uh, if it caused you to apologize even, uh, then there's a lot to be grateful for. And this place makes it easy to be grateful. I'm back. Bread out of the oven. Um, I don't. Maybe I'd like to redo that answer. I, I feel like I just gave you a, a trite cliche, um, a trite cliche kind of answer, and I probably did that for the reason that we always use cliches because we're just. It's a shorthand for something that we don't have the words for, and, and I think ultimately that's the answer. I don't. I can't necessarily put my word on it. I, I do mean it in the bottom of my heart when I say that this is a place I think that inspires you to be, um, to pay attention and to try to be better at being a person, whatever that means and wherever you are and whatever you're doing and, 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 and all that. I think that's, that's really true. And, and the reason for that is not necessarily the values that are stated in the, the, the mission of the school or anything else, although those things are important. It's the people that are here. I think that, the people I've been with here have changed me and, and, and in good ways and have helped me to, to keep growing up. And I, I said to Byron Halsey recently, I said, you come to teach at Woodbury, you are always going to Woodbury. And, you know, and you got to go to Woodbury for four years. I've, I've gotten to go to Woodbury for 27 years and, and I hope I can go to Woodbury for, for longer because you know, it, it, and it's a process that's never over. It's not, not a linear mountain to, that you climb. It's just a spiral. You're just going around this mountain. Kind of, uh, it's sort of hijacked Dante's metaphor. But 
you know, I think that you're just working it all the time and, and you're just constantly engaged in this, in this process. And so, yeah, that's it. That's it for me. Maybe, maybe that says it better. I don't know. Oh yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I sort of like that idea of, uh, like growing up doesn't mean like finishing a race, you know? No. Um, yeah. There's you, you're always growing up. It's like, Oh my God, always. And, 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 you know, the, the most interesting old people, I've always loved old people all my life. You know, as a child I did, and I do now, I love the, you know, if there's an old, old person at a party and they look fun or interesting and look like they want to talk to me, that's where I'm going to go. Usually they, I like kids too, interestingly, but, but one of the things that maybe I like the same thing in old people and kids, and that is this kind of spark in this, in this kind of, excitement for what's coming and, and old people who achieve a, a true kind of level of wisdom, there's this kind of sense of, of delight and surprise in them. And, you know, they're, they, they, life has never stopped surprising them and, and they've never stopped. And they, they're not at that point striving for anything. They're just kind of in a, wow, you know, okay, one more day. This is awesome. And, you know, and, and I think kids are that way. I mean, you know, before they start to, strive for this. I want that job with Goldman Sachs or whatever the heck it is. Fine, that's what you want. I'm not knocking that. But 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 her just excited about life, discovering life and and having experiences. Um and 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 I, I think that's 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 important. So a lot of people at Woodbury have 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 done that for me. I mean and not always the students I've taught and remembered and worked with uh, that I really resonated with, who resonated with me, have, have just made me love life more. And uh, and the colleagues, uh, the same, and, and the older ones. You know, thinking about all the all the great people I've been able to teach with here, who just they, they get life right, and, and I, I like to be around them. They make me want to. Mm-hmm. I feel like it captures like a lot of people like that. There's not a very very low turnover at. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so for people who may be listening to this and don't know a lot about Woodbury, other from like a more like, you know, physical perspective, like how would you describe the the beauty of this place or just the like what it is? Well, we're sitting on a, 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 a an old farm, uh, still a farm. We've got, you know, 100 head of cattle here, more 150 head of cattle. So the, it's a school setting. It, it was built on an old farm. Uh, the headmaster still lives in what was originally the, the old farmhouse. The name of the school, Woodbury Forest, is the name of the original farm that was here. Um, and, and so the school is sitting here in the middle of this farm and we have fields. We've got, you know, uh, corn growing down here and we've got cattle pasturing out here. Um, and then inside this, we've got soccer fields and a football field and a golf course and, and you know, classroom buildings and dormitories and all that. Uh, and if you look off, you know, from the entire campus, if you look off, you look at straight west at the Blue Ridge uh, and you just can't not be grateful every day to stop uh, or at night. Um, this summer, I mean, I, I've had I, I'm not sitting at dinner as I usually am, but when but 
uh, to just the sunsets looking straight out there have been have been just something to see. And and um, it's not a very creative way to say that, but I, I've loved the sunsets. I love the I love the mornings looking those mountains and then we are surrounded by the Rapidan River on three sides and you can't see it from the campus but but you know it's there and 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 to be able to just walk down the hill and go to the go to this beautiful uh wide um river that comes right right up here out of the mountains I was in the headwaters uh two days ago and uh, where it looks more like a creek but really really delightful uh, and and uh, and then the farm in between that. So it's this layered place um, with an interesting history, a history, frankly, that we're we're having to come to terms with now, and we're going to in an interesting way. I don't think we've talked a lot about it, but but uh, you know, this was, of course, uh, it belonged to James Madison's brother, and uh, and they they had slaves here. Uh, that was before it was ever a school. Uh, School wasn't founded until until after that era, but uh, in 1870. But uh, the family bought the property in 1870. School was founded in the 1890s. But um, never mind. I mean, it, that's a part of the history of this land, and so um, I think that's something that we're going to be thinking a whole lot more about going forward. And yeah, it's just you can't really escape it, and in, in, in the South say there's just that that legacy that especially on in farmland that's been passed down um but there are ways to move forward and you know look look at, towards the future um with a, like respect for the past um there have to be yeah uh, and that gets back to this idea of conversation doesn't it i mean it's not you know, again, I think we get into trouble when we get into binary thinking and, you know, and this is, we either have to totally revere the past and be furious with anybody who wants us to look at the darker side of it, or we have to condemn everything that happened in the past as evil and we can't, you know, and it becomes this overly simplistic way of looking at things and then you get trapped and you're either one or the other and you're defining yourself against the other. It seems to me that, that, that you're going to, in order to get to the other side, you got to go through it to get to the other side. And, and, and the only way to get through it is to, is to wrestle with the complexity and that's hard. Um, and, and it requires a lot of listening and a lot of just, again, back to the way we were talking about being in nature, maybe not having enough, just checking your opinions at the door and just trying to have a new awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, <laughs> Notice what you notice to take a motto from Verlin Klinkenborg. Uh, but I, you know, yet notice, I think we have to do that. And then, then relationships begin to change and then attitudes. Suddenly we're having a, a conversation moving somewhere. We're not just stuck. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, a great example. I don't know if you want to get into this or not. I don't, I don't really, cause it's just such a hot potato, but you know, Somebody said this the other day because we're we're watching every day here in Virginia what's going on over the Lee statue in Richmond. You know, this gigantic statue of Lee on Monument Avenue, which has been a, a, just a you know a, a, a real landmark, and 
of course, uh, that's been called into question, and the presence of that in the city's been called into question, and, and everything else. And so, this, this, you know, it's a very tense time in Richmond over this. And you know, one of my friends said, you know, it seems to me that there are two ways of looking at Lee, and they're both wrong. One is to see him as this as this devil, you know, which is which is if you do that, you've just flattened out all of his complexity. And the others to see him as this saint, you know, this this almost Christ-like, and that's wrong too. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but boy, you want to get into you know dealing with Lee as just a human being who who you know had some noble qualities, but who also had some some <laughs> qualities that were far from you know noble, very ignoble, and and that mixture. Wow! Now you're talking about humanity. Now you're talking about you know, that gets really hard. But if you can get to that point, and, you know, Lee, that's a, a, an example that comes to hand, but you can you can pick any historical figure and, and um, say, yeah, you're going to make a mistake if you try to take this historical figure and say, well, he was, a, you know, a, a saint. He was blessed. He was perfect. She, oh, they were human. And, 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 and so we have to wrestle with that, I think. And truth is always messy and it's always somehow in the middle and it's never either or. The answer, it seems to me, was a good one that was posed by somebody the other day that said, maybe we shouldn't have monuments to people. Maybe we should have monuments to, uh, you know, a friend of mine said the other day, I would like to see in a monument, uh, you know, uh, a monument to, uh, you know, certain kinds of uh, trees um, or, 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 you know, m- monuments to, you know, to uh, eras, uh, you know, monument to, 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 you know, to all the survivors of the Great Depression, a monument to all the, all the people who gave their lives in the war. The, those things maybe make sense to me. I think where you get into trouble and, and, you know, England comes to mind. I spent a lot of time there. I love going there. But, but man, you pick any statue of anybody in England, and, and, and they're, they're going to, if you start pushing, it's gonna, they're going to end up, there's going to be end up being a pretty problematic thing. Same here. I mean, you know, we, we've all been around around with George Washington and, and Thomas Jefferson the same. Um, the problem may be that we need to stop thinking of, 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 of the, of the great men and women of our past as, you know, these, you know, perfect people or saints or somehow come to understand monuments in a completely different way uh, than what they are. If that makes any sense, I don't have an easy answer. Um, I, I don't, I just think it's a time to listen and think and, you know, and maybe it's a time to, I think going through times of questioning things is good for a culture, good for society. Uh, and, and um, I think that's valuable and for a person. That's a good practice to get yeah. back to that. To re, yeah. Just to reevaluate things kind of sort of continuously, you know, yes. um, you're not making progress if you're, if you're not doing that. Um, so we're at about a little over an hour here, maybe. Um, I think that's probably like a good length for the for this thing that I'm making. 
Um, do you, let's talk about let's something to end off here on. Um, oh, uh, is Sipo, I heard a little jingle in the background. Is Sipo still kicking around? She's, she's more than kicking. She's in great shape. Um, she's, uh, just turned eight and, uh, she's, she's great. I mean, uh, if you'd seen her, if you saw her running the field, she's got a white on the muzzle and, and feet. So she looks older, but she's, uh, she's powerful still. And she's learned to stand up for long periods of time on her back feet. So she, she goes after, uh, you know, birds that are high in bushes and stuff. So she's still very athletic and healthy and good. Dog good. We've been talking about controversial things. It's good to end on dogs. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, give her a few pats for me. I will. And uh, I've loved talking to you, and it's reminded me that it'd be good to, good to stay in touch. Yes, for sure. Um, and maybe maybe when you come back east, it's time to come back and visit Woodbury and see if you still get that feeling that you had. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Keep me posted on uh, on what you're doing. I I I, I love what you're doing, and uh, I just I love the fact that you went and became a got certified as a ski instructor. I still remember that terrible accident that you had. That you know, again, that's uh, that's inspiring. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a really great thing. I'll be I'll be telling that story, but uh, that's good. Let me hear from you soon. All right. Yeah. I'll I'll uh, be in touch with you. Thanks. Thank for coming. you. Yeah. Thanks for calling. See you Bye. later. Bye. Bye. And with that, we bring this episode to a close. Right now, you're listening to Time to Dream by Purple Planet Music. In the beginning, we had the All That by Ben Sound. Thanks to Jane Ackles for helping me with this cover art. I'm about to change it and upload it. And yeah, thank you, the listener, for supporting me, for listening, and coming up and telling me that you enjoy the podcast. It really means a lot. I can't tell you how much it means. It keeps me going. And I love all you guys. Thanks again to my guest for today, Ben Hale. The awesome Ben Hale. Thanks again to all the other guests who made this possible. And yeah, I love you all. And I hope you have a great day. Enjoy the rest of this smooth, groovy music. Bye-bye.